Hello, my name is Gustav Hoyer, and I am a composer. Welcome to the Anachronism Podcast. Welcome to today's episode. Really pleased to have our guest, Amanda Cook, and she is a Boston-based editor, writer, and arts administrator, and she has a background in flute performance and higher education. She's the editor-in-chief of the contemporary classical music publication, I Care If You Listen. She is especially interested in providing a platform for historically marginalized and underrepresented artists. In addition to her work as a digital editor, Amanda holds a multifaceted position in marketing, development, grant writing, and general administration at the Suzuki School of Newton. Her background in performance and education coupled with her current work in music journalism and nonprofit administration, provides a unique perspective from which to view the current state of classical music. Amanda, thank you for being with me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And I'm quite interested to begin with your current background. You're the editor-in-chief of I Care If You Listen, and I'd like to start with a little more of an intro about what that magazine is, its mission, and your role with it. Yeah, of course. So I have been the editor of I Care If You Listen since September 2017. So it's been about two concert seasons now. But prior to that, I was a contributing writer, and I had also worked as the associate editor for a couple of years. So I've been involved with the publication since 2013. And it's been really amazing to see it grow since I've gotten involved. The publication was launched in 2010 by our founder, Thomas DeNewville. And the origins of the of I Care If You Listen are really spectacular in my mind. It started as Thomas's personal blog, and he was doing a master's degree in New York, and he started writing about the concerts he was attending and the albums that he was listening to, and I think quickly realized that there wasn't a dedicated space where people were only talking about contemporary music. So he started pulling friends in to start contributing, and it very organically grew into what it is now. So now we are publishing new content daily, Monday through Friday, and we do album reviews, concert reviews, interviews, we do video premieres, essays and opinion pieces, we do track premieres off of upcoming albums. And the main mission is just to promote contemporary classical music, to promote new music that is being created today. But outside of that, or beyond that, I guess, the mission is to, within this realm of contemporary classical music, promote those who have been, as you mentioned from my bio, historically underrepresented or marginalized within that space. So that has become the more specific focus of our mission over the past couple of years. And so tell me a bit more about over this period of time, you mentioned contemporary music, and some of the folks who listen to this podcast may not make that connection. But when you talk about contemporary music, you're talking about contemporary classical music. That's new music, right? Correct. Yes. And so you're engaging composers as writers 
and contributors as well as artists. Tell me a bit more about that as I looked through the list of folks who contribute to your magazine. A lot of composers in there. So tell me a bit more about the broader community of I Care that you listen. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, the contributing writer team comes from a lot of different backgrounds. My background is in performance, but we have composers, we have people who are musicologists on university faculties, we have arts administrators, and we have even people who are self-described pure amateurs of contemporary music. And it's really amazing having all of these different perspectives contributing because, as you said, we have people coming from composer-performer backgrounds on the contributing writer team side of things, but then we're also covering people who are actively composing and performing this music. So having that dialogue and having people representing those camps on both sides of the equation creates some really interesting conversations. So before we continue on the topic of I Care If You Listen, and I have some questions that'll get more into that mission. I'd actually like to know a little bit more about you, and I'd like to start with a question about your journey with this music, how you discovered it, and let me frame a little bit of my thought around that. A lot of people I talk to who love this genre of music can often trace back in their memory to one or two specific memories, a specific event where they encountered this music, and it was either in a moment of profound emotional intensity, it might have been an unexpected discovery in the music, and it's as if a, something opened up. Because in our popular culture, the music we grow up surrounded by, really our world is wallpapered by popular music, uh, especially in the United States, and you can't go to a public place and not have a speaker blaring something at you. And it's very seldom, if ever, classical music. So discovering it, and then investing a life of study about writing and, and performing and all of that. I'm really interested to know your journey. What was it that drew you into this world? So I didn't have that moment that you're describing very early in my life. I grew up playing the flute in my public school band. Uh, so most of my background was in band music and that really formed my my early music education. And I, what's really interesting as just a side note here is the difference that we associate with n new contemporary band music and new contemporary orchestral or chamber music, but that's a completely separate conversation. Um, but I, I decided that I wanted to pursue music in college because I had had such an incredible experience with the music educators in my life through middle school and high school. But discovering what we normally associate with classical music being orchestral music or chamber music, engaging with this repertoire that we associate with, with the term classical music, I didn't really encounter that until college, really. And I was pursuing a music performance degree and it wasn't until I started attending professional symphony orchestra concerts in college that I had that moment of seeing that in action. 
Well, it's interesting. I do want to dive deep a little on the band orchestra distinction. <laughs> I think it's an interesting one. For folks who are outside of the classical music tradition, they wouldn't necessarily know that there's a difference between those two or a perceived difference. And in a lot of ways, they're cut from the same historical fabric, a lot of the same compositional tools. So it is, there's a, there's a culture that grows up with them. And, I th- and I'd be curious what you think of this hypothesis. It has to do as much with the ensembles and the people who participate in those ensembles, their, their shared history and their, their shared experience, like you say, in band versus orchestra. Then the repertoire itself, there's, there's quite a bit of technical overlap from a compositional standpoint. This, the instruments are different. Uh, but not all different. There's a lot of intersections. So tell me, just let's dive into that a little bit because that's intriguing to me. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the contemporary wind ensemble music is extraordinarily challenging. Some of it is more challenging from a technical standpoint than a lot of the orchestral repertoire. But for some reason, it just feels like people turn their noses up at it or they think that band music doesn't compare or hold a candle to this orchestral music that we've really put on a pedestal. And I I have a hard time putting my finger on why exactly that is, but it's something that's very deeply felt in the classical music, classical orchestral music communities. So coming up and following your journey from band into orchestral music, and, and let's set aside that boundary for a minute. That could be a whole other episode, and uh, maybe we'll come back to that someday because you're right. There's, there's, this curi- there's this curious distinction between the two. But I want to come back to you and your journey. You'd already decided to become a music performance major from the band repertoire. So let's go, and, and if you can take me, when was the moment you realized, that's what I'm going to do. That's where my life is headed. I'm going to spend my life around this kind of music. What, what was it? I had really amazing and influential music educators when I was growing up. And I just had a lot of really amazing female role models in my life who were music educators. And I think that's really just what inspired me to pursue that career path. Initially, I thought that I was going to pursue a music education degree um, or maybe even a dual degree in music education and and music performance. And it wasn't until I started my undergraduate studies and my flute professor said, I think you could really make a run at a performance degree that I dropped the the education component of, of that degree program. But it was just really being around inspiring women who were engaging with something that was a really positive thing in my life. And they were doing it with such love and care that it made me want to be able to do that for other people. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. Well, and, um, I'm going to peel back one more layer because I want to go even before that moment because you have said it was already a meaningful part of your life. So those role models cultivated a professional journey and a set of decisions, but the passion was there before and it was nurtured. Or was it? When When was that? When? Uh, and, and let me qualify the question a little more. As a performer, you're going to play what's put on the rack in front of you and you're going to participate in the social joy of music making. That's half of the fun of an ensemble is just being with other like-minded people. But there was a moment where you realized this, 
this is core to who I am. This is a kind of music that I'm I'm going to invest my life in in varying ways. And then you have folks who come along and encourage that. Or was there such a moment? You mentioned there was already a love there, and that love found a foundation with these educators. I started interacting with the arts from a very young age. I started dance lessons when I was five years old, and that was my first experience with performing arts. And dance was a very important part of my upbringing from the time I was five until I eventually stopped around age 15. So I think I cultivated that love of performing from a young age. And then I had an additional vehicle for it when we all got to choose what instruments we wanted to play in fourth grade. So dance was my first experience with performing. It was my first outlet for that kind of creativity. But then when I chose to play the flute, I just it it something clicked something just really took off there and I started taking private lessons from a young age I I think I started taking private lessons when I was maybe in fifth grade or something um and so eventually there came this moment where I had to choose between music and dance and ultimately decided to pursue music because there's probably a little bit more career longevity in uh, in music than dance, but um, yeah. Then, like you, like like I said, I just had these incredible people encouraging me along the way. Once once I made that decision, once I decided to 100% dedicate myself to this thing. So fast forwarding then back to where I I took us off a, a little bit of a detour. You're in university. You start to encounter the orchestral side of this tradition. Uh, what what are some of the early memorable encounters you had with with that? And and I would include also your band music, where you go back and say, oh, that piece, that piece was special to me when I first heard it or played it. What are some of those for you? I did my undergraduate degree just outside of D.C. at George Mason University. So we used to ride the metro into the Kennedy Center to go to National Symphony concerts on the weekends. And I think that those first encounters just being in a space like the Kennedy Center that is just so massive and so beautiful and being near the nation's capital being near a big city i grew up in rural new england so being in a more metropolitan area was really exciting and with that comes a lot more opportunities to experience cultural activities so I remember we used to all, you know, my friends and I, who were all music majors, we used to go downtown to go catch the National Symphony. And one concert in particular that really stands out in my mind is we went to go see Mahler's first symphony. And I just remember being completely blown away by this massive wall of sound coming at me. And of course, we're sitting all the way up in the nosebleed section, but sometimes for sound, those are the best seats. So I just remember completely getting my face blown off by this symphony, and it was it was a really incredible moment. So is that still a special piece for you, one that, that you go back to as the years with, with 
fondness or was that a gateway and, and your tastes have changed? I think it was more of a gateway, just realizing how much I didn't know. Um, I would go to these concerts and they were pieces that I had heard of or I felt like I was supposed to know at that point in my development but hadn't really had exposure to, which is interesting because if you have the inroad that I had through mostly band repertoire, you get to college and you meet a lot of string players who grew up playing in public school orchestra or youth orchestra. And you realize that there's this assumption that you know certain pieces by a certain point in your life. So as you look at your own experience and your journey into classical music, you ended up in classical contemporary music when there's so many other options out there and they're so instantly available and you would have grown up with the same popular music that any of our listeners to this podcast would have had. What is it that's kept you attached to classical music and why have you found it worth investing in professionally? Why is it worth nurturing? I think that it's worth nurturing because there is just so much to discover it's worth nurturing because there are so many contemporary practitioners who are really pushing the envelope of what classical music has been and are p continuing to further that developmental arc of classical music. And it's really exciting to go into a concert hall and hear something new and have no concept of what you're about to experience and engage with something where there's there's no background, there's no prefatory material, you haven't heard it before. And so I think it's worth nurturing because it's experimental, it's exciting, it's new. And it's worth nurturing when there's so much new music, though. We can do that and we can go to the... the arena, we can turn on the radio, we can go on uh, Apple Music, and there's so many ways to access new music that's now. Why this style? What is it about this genre or the people who create it that really has attached uh, to you personally? I think some of the people who are doing the most exciting work today are going beyond the concert hall. They are connecting their artistic practice with social justice causes. They're connecting what they're doing with politics or questions of identity. And that's something that resonates with other people. That's something that is part of people's day-to-day -day experiences. So beyond the concert hall, composers and the people who are programming contemporary music are trying to connect audiences to causes and topics that are relevant in their day-to-day -day lives. So Amanda, as you're talking about the organizations that you think are doing a great job, that are really succeeding as you're looking out in contemporary classical music, you've stressed that those are the organizations that are engaging in socioeconomic dialogue, that they're reaching out into communities and they're bringing the, the political sentiments of our day into that music making. And a question that uh, comes to me, and this is as a composer and as someone who's thought about arts from my own perspective and what, what music is to people and why music itself matters, never mind classical music. Um, 
it seems that there's a an emphasis on the polemical or the utilitarian aspects of music that music's fundamental good is that it cultivates discussions that actually cause social change that's why it's worthy activity uh i just want to lay that thought out there and, and clarify is that is that where you feel you're at there's probably some nuance behind that uh, talk to me about that thought i think the reason why the arts seem overwhelmingly political or overwhelmingly social and socially engaged right now is because we are the ones who are living these contemporary experiences. So music has always been political. Music has always been socially engaged, but we are just now the ones who are living that contemporary experience and interacting with the music in that way. When we have historic composers writing from their perspective, writing about their experiences, drawing inspiration from their day-to-day lives, we're seeing the same thing happening now, but the message feels stronger, I think, because they're new perspectives, because they are voices that we have systemically not allowed into the conversation before. So if things feel like they are more politically engaged or are pushing more... uh, provocative topics or agendas, it's because these are voices that we haven't had in the conversation before. Interesting. Well, and I I would say that those voices are very well represented in other genres of music. And so uh, you you hear a lot of that in different non-classical genres. So you're advocating that it has a place in the classical experience as well, as as a genre, part of our conversation as well. Absolutely. And I think that you see other genres opening up to this as well. I mean, we had Kendrick Lamar win the Pulitzer Prize for music a couple of years ago. So recognizing that there are more than there's more than one way to be an, a creative artist. There's more than one way to be a musician. And the genre lines are starting to blur even more. And so the more that classical music opens itself up to being influenced by other genres, the more we're also going to be able to bring more differing perspectives to the table. And the more that we, the more that classical music opens itself up to being influenced by other genres, the more we're going to see these ideas that have already been relevant in pop music for decades, we're, we're going to see that starting to reflect itself in contemporary music as well. Yeah, as a living composer, I often resist the label of classical composer. To me, classical is a designation, a historical designation. And, and as I'm sure a lot of the artists that you've engaged with might echo, I'm writing about modern topics. I'm writing as a living human. It's inherently modern contemporary music, the fact that it exists today by definition. And artists can choose so many different vocabularies, so many different musical tools to express. But my passion as a composer for this genre is that the genre designation starts to go away because we're living humans just as all living humans have always been in our time, influenced by the world around us. And those who choose to create music and perform music feel called upon to speak into their world using this set of tools. And it may not be 
uh, a drum loop and and a highly digitized EDM. It could be those things. It might actually be a string quartet. So the organizations that you have written about and that you've featured on your in your magazine and on the website, uh, it makes me ask the question: So why do you care if people listen? And and where do you see that the work you're doing there is helping make a connection with people? who wouldn't have listened otherwise, that you're inviting people into the conversation as you've described. Talk to me a bit about more that passion. Why, why is this important to you? And then maybe about your project with your writing and your other promotional work. So I care if people listen because I feel like there is this notion that classical music is for a very elite and privileged class of people. And I want to tear down that idea because contemporary music is for everyone. There is something that everyone can engage with. And I think that there is a new wave of accessibility that people don't recognize is happening. People think of contemporary music of being the contemporary music of as much as a hundred years ago. And that's simply not the case anymore. We see a huge rift that happened in the 20th century that broke audiences away from engaging with contemporary music. We see composers like Milton Babbitt, uh, who is the namesake of I Care If You Listen. It is a riff on a famous essay of his called Who Cares If You Listen, which was essentially arguing the fact that if we can't expect the average person to understand complex topics of the most advanced mathematics and sciences, then why should we expect the average person to be able to meaningfully engage with contemporary music? And that's when we see contemporary music making a huge shift toward academic settings. And I think we really lost a lot of audience members, and we lost a lot of prospective listeners through that time. However, since the 1980s, we see the birth of minimalism trying to bring audiences back, trying to bring this new wave of accessibility to contemporary music again. And ever since then, I think that many composers, maybe not all composers, but many composers are trying to bring audiences back, are trying to bring us to a point where things are accessible again, to bring us to a point where we can engage with this music in a meaningful way again, and where we don't feel so shut off from what is happening, and we feel like we can't understand or discern what is happening. So I think the people who are most successful right now are those that are helping audiences to reconnect with this art form. And I want to demonstrate that to people. I want to demonstrate to people that they can connect with this music, that there is something in it for them. And it's not just for this very esoteric elite class of people. That's wonderful. And I, the whole purpose of this podcast on which your guest is, is in the similar vein, how to invite people into this form of music, into this genre, in ways that are modern and relevant and, and help tear some of that down. So as you're engaging with your writing 
and I care if you listen, you've laid your passion out for us. Tell us about some of the successes you've been having, some of the ways that you see your writing and your advocacy for this genre materializing, and what are things that you're seeing that are really exciting for you? One of the most exciting things right now is seeing how what we are featuring on the website is then reflected in the people who are following the work that we're doing. And it has been really amazing to see our community of followers grow and change and honestly become more diverse and more reflective of the scene that is actually out there. The number of people who are active in the contemporary classical music scene is vast and diverse and has so many vibrant, unique voices. And we're finally starting to see that reflected in the people who are engaging with our work. Not only the people who we can find stats about on our Google Analytics, but also the people who are engaging with what we're doing on social media. And I'm really happy to just see this community of people changing and growing and evolving. And so my priority is to build a space where people who have not felt represented to make sure that they are the priority on this platform. And that has just been the driving force behind what I do. And I think that we're finally starting to see a space where things are a more accurate representation of the diversity of the scene today. It's an exciting time for classical, contemporary classical music, especially, as you say, there's a lot of passion and there's a lot of voices that are, that are commenting on our time in ways that uh, Beethoven can never speak to because it was from a time that was very, very different than our own, as you've said. One last thing I'd love to explore with you a little bit. You talk about bringing into concert halls. And as a composer, one of the things I, I bless and curse in the same breath is the advent of the gramophone. When music suddenly became recorded, it was now possible to encounter it and not be with the players who were producing it. And it was, to me, the first step of removing us from the humanity of what it takes to create music. And I'm curious what you're seeing in terms of the use of the concert space, live versus recorded. Any thoughts about that in terms of how we're engaging people? What's really exciting about contemporary music is so much of it is performative. So as you're saying, there's a lot that's lost on a recording. And while the practice of recording is still important, and while there are some recordings that are being generated that could only exist as a recording and aren't possible to replicate in live performance because of the use of recording technologies, I think that so much of contemporary music is focused on this audience engagement, even down to contemporary techniques that composers are asking performers to produce, they are so innovative and go beyond even just if you can consider any extended instrumental techniques to be standard extended techniques, but going beyond these experimental things that people are doing with instruments. And on a recording, I guess there is an element that's a little bit exciting about trying to guess how someone is making that sound, but it's even more exciting to see it happening and to watch a performer 
approach an instrument in a way that is different or to watch the theatricality of a vocalist in performance. And there are a lot of contemporary practitioners who are creating these music theater hybrid pieces too. And so much of that is lost on a recording. So that is definitely one reason to advocate, to continue to advocate for live performance practices. So as you have built your community around historically underrepresented people in classical music and all of that, what are some things that are coming up that if any of our listeners are interested in learning more, they visit your website, what are some things you want to point out or initiatives maybe that are, that are in the future that you're really excited about? I think some of the most exciting content on our site are the essays because it really opens the floor for people's personal experiences and it really opens the floor for people to be able to delve into a possibly provocative or difficult subject and really dig into it and really challenge a lot of the things that have been maybe holding classical music back from continuing to evolve. Um, so I would say that the essays are some of the best content that we have on our site in terms of getting your finger on the pulse of what are the issues that we're facing today and why. Also, the interviews that we run with artists are really interesting because we try not to ask artists just about the art that they're creating. We'll ask them about current projects and, and maybe a little bit about their process, but we're also talking to them about their experiences. We're talking to them about their upbringing and we're talking to them about mentorship and we're talking to them about what they see as problems in the way that things that are run, barriers that they've faced, problems that they're having and how we can begin to start addressing them. So our album reviews and our concert reviews are certainly exciting, but I think the place where the most meaningful conversations are happening are in those interviews and in those essays. Wonderful. Well, I will definitely be sharing in the podcast notes a link to your site, and we're going to encourage people to take a look and start to engage this other side of classical music, both that it maybe is being newly written and also it's being written by people you wouldn't expect in this type or genre of music and invite them into that conversation that you've started. Amanda, I really want to thank you for your time, your insights, and wish you all the best of success as you continue in your mission. And thank you again for spending time with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Take care. And thank you, listeners, for joining this episode of the Anachronism Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Amanda Cook. Our next episode in two weeks will be another active listening exercise where we'll decompose some elements of another composition of mine. If you'd like to connect digitally, you can visit my website at gustavhoyer.com or find me on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining.